<笑>鬼岛之音 ，Ghost Island Media。I think any hot sauce, it has to be designed to be good with pizza for sure. There is a moment of indecision when you look at the fridge. You're like, which sauce am I taking out today? Meet Jane Chen and Alex Denner, co-founders of Empress Hot Sauce. They met in New York, and they're eager to bring some Taiwanese flavors to the world. In my refrigerator, I have an entire cabinet of just hot sauces, and so like I'll just bring like six at a time to the table. This is Pat Boland. Economic officer at the American Institute in Taiwan. He loves New York and hot sauce, so he's super excited to talk to Jane and Alex. Welcome to the AIT podcast from the American Institute in Taiwan and Ghost Island Media. We're here to talk about everyone's favorite topic: food. In each episode, we'll discuss with the special guest food from an American city. Today we head to the Big Apple, New York City. Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Boland. I'm economic officer at AIT, and really excited to be here with Jane Chen and Alex Denner, who are the co-founders of Empress Hot Sauce. My name is Jane Chen, and I'm a co-founder of Empress Hot Sauce. My name is Alex Denner. I'm also a co-founder of、uh, Empress Hot Sauce. I'm really excited to be here because today we're going to talk about three of my favorite things: New York City, hot sauce, and pizza. I am from Virginia, but And I work for the U.S. government, but even though you know most of the time I have to report back to Washington, I think that New York is a city that really represents the diversity, multiculturalism of America, and really has the regular people from all around the world who have、uh, come to a city to make it their home and brought their delicious foods with them. So, really excited to be here with you all today. Thanks so much for having us. We're also big fans of New York City, and of course, hot sauce and pizza. Maybe say a couple of words about, you know, why you're here, your connections to New York. I actually grew up in Taipei, and、uh, when I graduated high school, I went to school in upstate New York for college. New York City would be the only place where I could get food from Taiwan. So, you know, I would wait for long weekends and wait for the bus that I can ride four hours to go have soup dumplings on the holidays. New York really started. For me, as an escape into somewhere where I could taste food from home, and started to become almost like a nostalgic city for me in the very beginning. My connection to New York is that I wasn't born there, but I was bred there. So I got there when I was one, one and a half, and I basically grew up in Brooklyn, then moved out to an outer suburb as one does to get a better schooling because. Going to a good school in New York City is notoriously very difficult. And then after that, got a job in New York City, moved back down. I view New York as home. Wherever I am in the world, once I get back into New York and I start feeling that energy, the moment you get out on the street and you just see people walking with a purpose, you kind of fall back into like a New York speed, where everything is a little bit faster. So you kind of speed up your entire life. You kind of speed up your thinking, and it kind of makes you. I don't know. It makes me calm. For a long time, I couldn't fall asleep unless there was like a sound of like a siren going by or like an ambulance、yeah. or something. So yeah, I generally just have only love for New York. That's really cool. I think for me, I live all around the world for my work, and I've lived from Egypt to mainland China to Syria to Turkey, and traveled all around these different regions. And New York is a a city in which you can be in a place like Astoria, and you're passing by. In an Egyptian cafe that looks like it could be in downtown Cairo, but then later on that day, go over to Flushing and have like the best Chinese or Taiwanese food that tastes just like it would back in Asia. So it's really a special place where all these different peoples and cultures are 
passing by each other on the street, on the subway. I think that the foods, traditions they bring with each of these communities also kind of cross-pollinates and creates some really special stuff. Alex, you grew up there in Brooklyn's a really diverse place. You've got some of the different communities I mentioned, then you've got large Jewish communities, you've got Latin American communities and like Sunset Park or different areas. What was that like growing up there? So I, my parents moved to a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Decker Heights. It's sandwiched between Bettenhurst and Bay Ridge. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was really, really Italian-American heavy. My parents cooked a lot. So I had a lot of that Eastern European, Russian, Jewish sort of mix. But then the treats would be going to like an American diner and just getting uh, like a burger or going up a block and going to the local Americanized Chinese food and then not understanding that that was a very specific thing in itself. And then every once in a while going out to Brighton Beach and actually getting what fancy Russian food was or yeah. <laughs> like banquet style Russian food. So yeah, I had a pretty big smattering of cuisines like thrown at me. And I think it really helped reinforce that food is just a way of love because it's an easy way to, to show uh, different cuisines, different types, different treats. So um, yeah, I don't know. I think I was really lucky to, to grow up in that, in that area. That's really cool. You have this like broad idea of what food is and I think it helps one more open to new foods and to traveling and to bring those familiar tastes wherever you go. Yeah. And Jane, so I mean, you, how did your experience differ from what Alex just talked about? So when I first moved to the States and I went to school in upstate New York, the first thing I was looking for in New York City would be like the Chinese food that I missed from Taiwan. And then as I moved into New York, it was kind of like a gateway to opening up that kind of global palette. And during that time, it was just an incredible experience to not only be able to have, you know, food from home, like one subway right away, but also to be able to experience like Ethiopian food in Brooklyn or to have really good Korean food in K-Town and just having that as part of my regular dining experience, even for a short six years, I think was really eye-opening and really defined, I would say, my eating habits even to this day. How about when you were in college, did you get introduced to any sort of new American foods that you just hadn't had before or... I don't know. So many. Yeah. <laughs> like what so were some many. of the interesting or new, um, new tastes? Well, anybody from Ithaca would probably remember this thing called DP dough. It's a calzone. And as college students, we all eat pretty much calorie loaded, you know, junk food. Soak and up the beer. Yeah. 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 Of course. Naturally. It's, it's only healthy. Yeah. The, legend, um, the legend was they use a stick of butter per calzone. Wow. So okay. yeah. seen like that. So that was really new to me was this concept of a calzone. And I remember going into first week, I think in college, looking at the salad bar and just being in awe of the amount of salad dressings. Yeah. that were available there. <laughs> so that was very new. I remember vividly, for, I think the first two weeks of college and my time in America, I basically ate fries because that was <laughs> the one thing I knew. Shocking, but um, yeah, it was a very different experience for sure. Yeah, the yeah. American college dining hall can be pretty overwhelming, <laughs> even if you're from <laughs> the United States. And would you say there's like a particular dish that's like you would call the New York dish? Definitely classic, like dollar slice pizza. Mm -hmm. Two Bros in New York was like one of the first things I think I ate 
when I visited New York City. But over time, whenever I think about New York now, pizza and then pasta for me, for sure. Just really comfy, like heartwarming bowl of pasta is kind of how I remember New York as well. How about you, Alex? What do you think is like the representative food? It's a hard, it's a hard question because there's a lot of mm, different choices. Very true. But yeah. I would also say pizza, but if I'm pressed, I'm also going to say toss up between a bagel or your bodega. So if you want to go to a bodega, you can always get your BEC on a roll. And then they'll ask you SPK and like salt, pepper, ketchup. Personally, I was always SP hot sauce. So if you live near a good bagel place, get a bagel. If you live near a bodega, most likely the bodega is going to be a good option. One of the reasons I really love the city of New York is, you know, I've been to a lot of different places around the world, ranging from Yemen and Jordan to Turkey, Spain, Mexico. And it's this place where, you know, the vastness of the world feels like it can be condensed into, you know, it's a big city, but it's it's a city, right? And so my brother lives there. I, every time I come back from living posted abroad, I go spend a lot of time in New York. And, but I was wondering, I mean, you all have actually lived there for long periods of time. So I want to ask your suggestions. How would you spend a day in New York? Like, I don't want to see the Statue of Liberty or Central Park, like maybe some of the more off the beaten track things that would incorporate some good food. As you ask the question, the things that pop into my mind are just like the restaurants I would <laughs> yeah. visit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a recent visit to New York, we basically just stopped at East Village because that's where we used to live. And so there's a lot of food in that area because you can go from like East Village down to Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. And because the best thing to do in New York is to walk, right? Um, NQR or 456, get to 14th Street, and then you just walk from 14th Street down to, you know, Delancey and just eat your way down. That's like my favorite thing to do in New York. I would say any good day would include sort of like a trip to an outdoor beer garden just to spend time with, with a lot of friends. The beauty of New York is that when you live there, you have a lot more options. But when you visit, you kind of need to hit the sites. There's actually a great place in Ridgewood, in Ridgewood, Queens, that's that basically does that, where it gets a bunch of food trucks to come in. And then they also have music acts that come in. And then they have like a few beers on tap. So you can just go there, sit, have some food, chat, and then drink away the day, I guess. <laughs> Actually, now that we're talking about it, what I find really interesting is like the experiences that I love about New York. I similarly love in Taipei as well, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that, you know, when it's a great day out, you know, everybody goes out to have like a nice meal to catch up, have beers. It's like the outdoor beer garden experience. It's kind of like a Zhezhao experience in Taiwan, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Where you're just hanging out and just having a good time. And then eating your way through the city is also similar to kind of how we eat our way through a night market. Right. Or like in different areas of Taipei. Both cities have great public transit and great like street food cultures and really diverse stuff. I mean, like the night markets here each have their own specialty, just like different neighborhoods or the places might have. I'd love to see if you guys have Google Maps of like your favorite places, both <laughs> in New York and Taipei. It's to, a travesty. In yeah. <laughs> Too many pins. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of pins. Um but yeah, we definitely, we have like a full list that we usually send people um, based on where they're staying. And then we're like, okay, these are their favorite places. You should go here. Um, and so, for example, like pizza, like I know people always say this, but I just have to say it again. Joe's Pizza in New York is our favorite. Where's that? They have a couple of places, but our favorite place is on 14th in Union Square. The original is in the West Village. And then they also have a couple in Financial District. Okay. Two other New York classics. Do you have a favorite? Bagels and cheesecakes. All right. For bagels, I actually have an off the beaten path because it's actually where I grew up in Rockland County, New York. So there's actually a bakery called Rockland Bakery. 
And the only reason their bagels are the best is because you can pick them up off the line. So they're actually still hot and fresh. Everyone knows that a bagel has like a two hour half-life that if you eat it a little bit later than that, it's, it's not as good. Like there's also that sin where you can't toast a bagel in New York. And this way you kind of avoid all of that. You basically get a fresh bagel and then you can go to the deli right next door and be like, can you please put cream cheese on this? But really, if it's right off the line, you don't even need to. You just eat it fresh by itself. And it is the most glorious experience. So I would recommend anyone taking like a 30, 45 minute drive out of New York City up to Rockland and going to Rockland Bakery and then just getting a fresh bagel. Whatever flavor it is, it doesn't really matter. That's the one you want to get. It is so worth it. It changed my life, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I just put that in my Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I think for cheesecake, Veneros is okay. our cheesecake choice. I think it's a neighborhood thing too, because it's also in East Village. Yeah. Um, but it's also very classic New York cheesecake where it doesn't have that graham cracker crust, um, but the cheesecake is super fluffy. And like, it's just really nice. Fluffier. Yeah, fluffier. Yeah. So it's very nice. So it's still dense. It's still a New York cheesecake. Yeah. It's yeah, not like yeah. a Junior's where it's like a slab. How do you think that the trends in the food scene in New York have changed? Obviously over COVID, we didn't get the chance to go back to New York. And then we went back first chance we could last September. And it was really amazing just to see the amount of Asian forward restaurants. Like there's a lot of folks that are trying to bring specifically actually Taiwanese food into New York. And that's been really incredible to see because there are places where you get like a really basic, for example, maybe fun time, but then they really dress up some other stuff that's like also American culture as well. That's the kind of stuff that I think with food innovation, you can really enjoy in New York is this clashing of cultures and the new stuff that comes out of it. So like a Nathan's hot dog inside of a fontuan or something like that? or I could see that working. Yeah, yeah why not? I feel like that, okay. should, be, that should be a thing. With some mustard? <laughs> why not? Sure, yeah. Carbs are carbs. Um, Fantastic on that. How about you, Alex? What do you think? I kind of want to build on Jane's point because since it's already a multicultural melting pot to begin with, everyone kind of grows up eating multiple cultures. So when they get bitten by the bug to start a restaurant or start a food concept, they don't pull just from their own cuisine. That might be their truth, their bedrock, but then they're going to be like, well, I ate this growing up. I ate that growing up and I want to see how I can pull in those flavors. So that kind of blending actually creates, I wouldn't really call it fusion, but it's like an evolution of where everyone is kind of pulling from every different cuisine. And I think the ability to create new foods is only limited by your imagination. All right. We've been talking a lot about New York, a lot about pizza as a representative food of New York. And it just so happens that we have some pizza here. We're going to take this opportunity because we've got the two founders of Empress Hot Sauce Company here to first try the pizza and then kind of pair it. I think any hot sauce, it has to be designed to be good with pizza for sure. So I'm excited for us to try. By the looks of it, it's really got that thin crust, the slice, so I'm very excited to try. Mm -hmm. So if you hold it, flop there's a little bit of a flop, right? So it's not too stiff. So you can tell that, you know, the, the texture is soft. Um, and for pairing, I would recommend, my favorite to pair with um, pizza is actually the smoky hibiscus. Okay. Yeah, because it has that smoky flavor, has a little bit of garlic in it, and just like a slight sweetness and just mild enough in heat that I can still enjoy the pizza and then have like a little bit of spice to it. That's my preference. What about you? Um, it depends on how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling spicy that day, <laughs> um, I can actually do the uh, the macao and actually do a corner and just 
do a dip and a dab. Yeah, how spicy do you normally eat? Um, well, you know, I actually have a bottle of the smoky hibiscus <laughs> in my fridge, so uh, basically bring hot sauces to the table for every meal, so everything needs a, at least a little bit, um, but I don't have, like, my grandma's tolerance who would just, like, eat jalapenos and habaneros for snacks during the oh, day. Oh, wow, incredible. That's impressive. Um, That's very yeah. impressive. So I, I like a good, like, it's got to have, like, some little bit of sting, but I don't want to be just totally overwhelmed because then you can't taste the food. Really. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's basically the ethos of our sauces. So yeah, that's but, fantastic. But yeah. I'm excited. This pizza is looking pretty authentic. Um, let's give it a taste. Mm. I like the crust. I think for this pizza is, is great. From a pizza perspective, the key to a good New York pizza is like a slow cold fermentation of the dough. So immediately in my book, that's like already a win because not a lot of places do that. And then the sauce, like New York sauce is actually a little bit sweeter than you would expect, a little bit thinner than you would expect. So doing that also kind of builds upon that sort of nostalgia of like what New York pizza is supposed to be. And then the cheese is great. So I think they hit it out of the park all three ways. Yeah. We're trying this on just like a margarita pizza. So you also, there's nothing to hide behind in terms of the ingredients, but it is nice and and chewy. And I think that the hot sauce adds, you know, another level. You can feel it kind of burning a little bit on the top of the mouth, um, but also like the smoky flavor kind of rounds it out. So the hibiscus sauce that we use is actually a little bit more vinegar forward. So it kind of plays with that sweetness a little bit. So it kind of counteracts it a bit. Mm -hmm. So you don't really uh, get too much vinegar or too much sweetness. It kind of mellows each other out and kind of makes it a nice, even sort of approach. When you get that smokiness and that sweetness from the uh, longin, mm -hmm. and I think it just creates a really nice sort of pairing with a fatty, like cheese pizza. Yeah, what's really cool is actually making hot sauce in Taiwan allows us to test all of our sauces with Asian food as well as Western food, and that's essentially how we ate in New York anyway. Right. Right. I remember the first hot sauce we ever got. Like I didn't even know what to put it on because mm -hmm. it was just very new to me. And then I added it to like kind of chicken over rice. And I was like, this blew my mind. I didn't know that you could add hot sauce to chicken over rice. Mm -hmm. And that was just, you know, a lot of different cultures. Cause I remember the hot sauce was like kind of a Jamaican style hot sauce and chicken over rice obviously is more, I would say New York style. And so I just didn't think the two would mix and it works really well. And so I feel very lucky that we get to do that almost every day here is that we get to use our own sauces and just try a bunch of stuff and see if it works. And usually it pairs surprisingly well. In my refrigerator, I have an entire cabinet of just hot sauces. And so like, I'll just bring like six at a time to the table and then just like have one bite with like each time and then like figure out which is the best that pairs with, you know, more like Asian type food or more Western food. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fun uh, little game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. There is a moment of indecision when you look at the fridge, you're like, which sauce am I taking out today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be overwhelming. I used to get a lot of eye rolls from my mom when I would do that, but my wife is a little more understanding. Should we try another one of the... I think the mango could be a good Absolutely. Fit. And we use Erwa mango, which is Iwamangu. It's actually this really cool fruit from, actually originally from Florida, and then a researcher brought it to Taiwan and in the 50s. Yeah, and then a uh, local farmer was like, this is an awesome fruit. We have the perfect climate to grow it. And this whole town in Tainan just started to kind of develop this fruit locally in Taiwan. Irwin mango? Yeah, Irwin mango. Yeah. yeah. Oops. 
So this one's a little bit thicker than the hibiscus. Hibiscus mangoes are Yeah, thicker. this one is basically, there's no water added to the sauce. So it's just mangoes, ginger, vinegar, and a bit of carrots for body. And what's the pepper? So all of our sauces are made with local Taiwanese Chaotian Dao pepper as a base. Mm -hmm. And then um, some of the sauces have like ghost pepper just to amp up the floralness mm -hmm. or the heat. Um, and so this one is a Chaotian Dao ferment. And you really kind of taste it because it starts emanating from the back of the throat forward after about five seconds. I can where, feel it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, sweet, the sweetness of the mango kind of takes over. Mm -hmm. And then once that recedes, you get that spice coming from the back. This is the first sauce that Alex ever made because when we had moved to Taiwan, he had brought back all of these hot sauces. And I'm sure you've seen it before, like mango habanero is like a big one in the U.S. And so he had a bottle of that in Taiwan and he was really running low. And so when he went to the markets in the morning, he was like, well, there's mangoes here and then there's pepper. So maybe I can make my own. And so, like, lo and behold, he actually did it. And then our friends really enjoyed it. And and then kind of the rest was history. And when did you all start this? About two and a half years ago. And just started like that, just kind of like experimenting? Or did you set out like, you oh, will no. be the next hot sauce kings <laughs> and queens I, of Taiwan? <laughs> I honestly just kind of was messing about with uh, different things. Like I was making kombucha, I was fermenting different things. I just kind of wanted to give myself a bit of time just to play around with food. And I was actually working on a different food concept at the time. And then Jane came home one day and I was all covered in like pomegranate juice. And I was getting it all on the table, on the walls. It looked like a crime scene. <laughs> and she came home. She's like, oh, are you working on this other thing that we, that we were doing at the time? And I just go, no, no, I'm making hot sauce. And at that moment, she gave me like a weird look. And I think at that moment, it clicked that I was actually more passionate about making hot sauce than what we were doing. Right. And I think at that point, it was sort of a, uh, she gave me license to be like, okay, try this out, see what happens. And then long story short, about six to seven months later, we kind of came out with Empress. So the third sauce is actually the pineapple miso that he created. And that's our mildest sauce right here. And what's really cool for this sauce is that I think it's a really great example of how we approach making sauces. We wanted it to kind of represent something that it could be added to Taiwanese food. And when Alex was thinking about what represents Taiwanese food, he started realizing that there was a lot of similarities between Mexican food and Taiwanese food. There's a lot of pork. There's a lot of sweetness in even savory dishes and then like a lot of herbs, right? And so with these kind of similar taste profiles, he kind of bottled it up into one hot sauce. Instead of pork, he used white miso to create that savory flavor. And then the pineapple, of course, Taiwan is really famous for pineapple. And then we add a little bit of cilantro to create that herbaceous flavor. And this sauce is now one of my best sellers in Taiwan, also in the U.S., just because of the way that the flavors speak to everybody. I'm not sure if it's your explanation or the lingering pepper, but my mouth is watering. <laughs> and uh, I gotta try it. Yeah, let's do it, uh, yeah, let's, let's do it. Go. What would you put this on? I really, really enjoy this on fish and on salads. Although I will say that this on like Lurofan or like Luwei is fantastic, which is a testament to how this sauce works between both cultures. Like it might be Mexican inspired with Taiwanese ingredients, but it works amazingly on Taiwanese dishes. And whenever someone says, oh, I don't know how to use this, I'm like, please just go to any place that you can get Lua Fan and just put it on and it will make sense. Well, I don't know if we're going to try the hottest ones, but yeah, I mean, if I'm you're game, if, you if you're game, I'm game, I'm game, yeah. game. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Should we try the spiciest? All right. We can do it. Ciao, yo. <laughs>
So this one is our ghost pepper Macau hot sauce. We use this black pepper looking berry, mountain berry called Macau, which is um, traditionally used in indigenous cultures in Taiwan mm -hmm. um, when they steam fish. And so that's kind of floral flavor that you're getting. And then we add a little sweet potato. So it has a nice silky texture to it. Um, oftentimes, you know, when you want something that's really hot, you know, I hate it that I'm eating like a wet, soggy mess. Yeah. And this sauce doesn't, with that sweet potato, allows you to just have like dabs of the perfect amount of heat with a nice floral brightness. And then, and then the ghost pepper that really just brings it home with that fire in your mouth. For sure. It's fiery, but it's not deadly. You know, I had a little bit of a stuffy nose this morning, but I don't anymore <laughs> right now. So appreciate that. Um, but yeah, all these are really good, really diverse. I mean, lived in Taiwan for some years now to see the like incorporation of these really famous local flavors and ingredients, you know, the pineapples, the passion fruits, the, the Macau, and it's really unique. So hats off to you guys for this project. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Yeah. It's been, I would say an honor of a lifetime to be able to like explore what Taiwan has to offer and then be able to kind of apply what our eating experiences were abroad and then come up with new stuff that can honor both of our upbringings, which I think is the best part of what we get to do every day. Well, thanks guys for letting us sample all of your delicious sauces on my favorite food pizza. Maybe we can zoom out a little bit and talk a little bit more about the history of hot sauce in the United States in general in Taiwan. I always like to equate the growth of hot sauce in terms of how people can think about the growth of coffee. So like the different waves of coffee. So I think that the first wave of hot sauce was everyone in their regional cuisine having hot sauce, right? Whether that be like Louisiana style or like Mexican hot sauce, that kind of stuff. The second wave would be the mass market kind of approach. So that's when you have Tabasco coming and like becoming a brand leader, like El Yucateco from like Mexico, kind of defining what that local flavor is. And then the third wave would be like craft, but it would just be craft based on the amount of Scovilles they could push. And a Scoville is? Scoville is like the measurement of spice. So is spice, scientific? It is, yeah, okay. yeah. Ghost peppers are roughly a million. Jalapenos are like 2,500, good base numbers. And it just measures how spicy an item is based on the amount of capsaicin it holds. Because capsaicin is the oil inside of a pepper that determines how spicy it is. So that third wave of craft was basically just fully focused on pumping as many Scovilles in to a, a bottle of hot sauce as possible. And what, what I've seen over the past... I would say like 10, 12 years is really a transformation more towards the fourth wave where it's more along the lines of flavor first, spice second, and figuring out how to get the most out of ingredients. Yeah, I think it, it is. Um, I remember there was like Mexican chain in the States that had like a wall of different hot sauces. When I go to places like that, I always get quesadilla because it has the most surface area for, right. for trying the different hot sauces. Um, I remember like so many of them were just like, sassy cartoon like blow your face off whatever hot sauce i've been away from the states for a while so i haven't really seen the fourth wave as much you know the elephant in the room is that we're just coming out of the covid pandemic here i think living here in taiwan it was it felt pretty safe and life was pretty normal for the beginning of it and then you know the quarantines kind of wore on everyone but another thing that happened during the pandemic was a lot more people stayed home right and so 
You started the business in the midst of the pandemic. You know, that's kind of a courageous thing to do when the world is facing economic troubles. So maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced. Compared to the world, it was relatively easy for us, I think, to start a business in Taiwan um, in the middle of the pandemic. I know in the States there were so many supply shortages. And of course, there was all of this reporting on Sriracha, you know, running out on shelves and labor shortages. So I think we got very, very lucky um, to be in Taiwan at the right place at the right time to be able to launch Empress. But yeah, definitely, I think when the things that did impact us were just like shipping times, because once we started exporting to the U.S., the shipment scheduling became really challenging. And, you know, we have an amazing partner in the U.S. So they took the brunt of it, but it was hard to kind of understand how to plan our production around the shipping traffic. Like you mean the actual like container ships? Yeah, actual container ships. And then like, you know, scheduling it and making sure that the prices aren't outrageous because, you know, we are a consumer product, so we don't have like a crazy margin. And so it was definitely something that was challenging for us. Yeah. We're also really lucky that, again, we can lean on Taiwan for a lot of our produce. I'd say 90% of our ingredients come from Taiwan. So we kind of also avoided that sort of shipping issue inbound. We're very, very blessed to sort of have very few items that we had to rely on for import. And then all those items, we still tried to systematically knock them out and make it almost 100% reliant from Taiwan. Um. But the COVID pandemic also provided, I think, some opportunities and some positives, you know, more people cooking at home, more people experimenting in their own kitchens. You know, as we come to the end of our discussion, if you could talk about some of the things that you don't think would have been possible if the pandemic didn't happen. One of like the examples, I think, that from a COVID perspective that I think we experience very literally is just um, people's knowledge of Taiwan. When we did our tastings in the U.S., I remember when I was going to college, like way back when. When I would say Taiwan, people really didn't know about us and then about this island. And then this time around, we did tastings. People really just were really chimed into Taiwan, that Taiwan has great food and that, you know, we did well over COVID. That was one thing that I think we benefited from. But definitely to your point that like people started cooking at home way more. Mm -hmm. And so with that, hot sauce is just such an easy way to just kind of flavor your food without having to put a bunch of like spices and things like that. For folks like me, you know, who tries to spend as little time as possible in the kitchen, I think that's like a really great bonus for us. I think the fact that people were stuck at home is sort of a boon to almost every single ethnic cuisine, because at the end of the day, you're going to get very, very bored of eating the same thing. Even if you are a meat and potatoes kind of person, eventually you're going to be like, let me just try something different. And even if you dip like a toe into that water, that's already some sort of growth that you have from a food perspective. And I think people really want that kind of spice of life, right? So when they're stuck, they're always going to look for something new. And I, I got to ask, what's the background of the name Empress Hot Sauce? So I came up with the Chinese name first, which is La Tai Ho, which means effectively spicy Empress. In English, it's Empress Hot Sauce. And the name, I think, literally just honors women who have unapologetically delivered all kinds of flavors in life and everything. And so we wanted to kind of have a little bit of a Asian spin. That's awesome. And really enjoyed my conversation with you guys, you know, discussing our favorite city, eating our favorite food and trying your delicious hot sauce, which are quickly becoming my favorite hot sauce. So, um, you you know, thank you all for your time. Thanks to Ghost Island Media for arranging this and 
tune in the next AIT podcast. And thanks so thank much. You all very thank much. you very much. Fun. Great chat. You've been listening to the AIT podcast, co-produced by the American Institute in Taiwan, Ghost Island Media, and American Spaces. Please share and subscribe and give us a follow on all our social media accounts. This episode is produced by me, Emily Waiwu. Teresa Yen is our production coordinator and editor. Our editing assistant is Gerald Williams. Engineering supervisor is Dino Lin. Graphics by Logan Dosher. Thanks to Chloe Ramon and Mikey Redding for assisting. See you next episode.